This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Esports is a good aberration. We're still moving forward. We're part of something much bigger than sport right now. The health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. We'll talk about big players later on. We're going to hear from A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez. He is the CEO and chairman now of A-Rod Corp. He's buying a basketball team. He's got a special purpose acquisition company, a SPAC. If you paid any attention to what's going on on Wall Street over the past year or so, that is one of the most popular things going. Talk to him about that and lots and lots more. But first, the world of golf happening this weekend, the PGA Championship down in lovely Kiwa Island off the coast of South Carolina. They're putting on a tournament, a very difficult golf course, to say the least. We caught up with the CEO of the PGA of America, Seth Waugh. He's there in South Carolina. He told us about how they got prepared for this big tournament as life gets sort of back to normal. So we are respecting uh, the new guidelines of the CDC, and um, we've we had a sellout crowd. It sold out in less than a week last August, um, and uh, uh, we had to um, sort of shrink the field a bit uh, to, to follow state and local guidelines. Uh, but it is, um, you know, we are uh, holding uh, the largest uh, golf term tournament in terms of fans it's held since the pandemic started um it uh we're in a uh, state and a location that allows for masks uh to not need to be worn outdoors and and we are uh following that and excited about it the fans are uh are excited to be here it's nice you can tell people just uh you know needed to get outdoors and and be around other people so it'll look like a uh you know it's a, it's an amazing site and it's one that um you know, has uh, uh, isn't the biggest piece of property on earth, and so the the, the amount of fans will will look uh, very champ- major championship like. Uh, so we're excited about it, and the atmosphere just couldn't be sort of more grateful, more happy. The players are gushing about the course and the yeah. weather, and it's uh, it's great to be you know here and, and living again. And you can listen to that full conversation with Seth Waugh on our podcast feed, a long, wide-ranging conversation we had with him, Lynchy. You know, this is a guy, as Michael Barr nicely points out in the conversation, who ran the Americas for Deutsche Bank. He's clearly a very serious golfer. He ran that tournament. Uh, that got him deeper and deeper into the world of golf. This is a big job, and and you were helping us understand, even off-air, Lynchy, how this is the organization that really has its tentacles across all of golf in America. These are all the pros. They are. They're, they're your club professional, your club assistant professional at uh, wherever you go, a municipal course or a private golf club. These are the nearly 29,000 uh, men and women who are PGA professionals of America. The PGA Tour represents the players that are on the tour, and that is uh, commissioner is Jay Monahan, who we had on the show a year ago. And ironically, Jay Monahan and Seth Waugh together 
founded the TPC Boston tournament, which is traditionally run on Labor Day weekend, and they, they took a swamp and they just built a golf course down there, and Deutsche Bank was the original sponsor. Tiger Woods Charities were the original beneficiary, and their relationship sort of blossomed, and so did their credibility within the golf world, and ironically, they are the heads of the two biggest organizations that run professional golf today. Uh, Seth is really a, 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 he's a great guy. He's very creative. He's very imaginative, uh, as you will hear in the, in the podcast, and you know, he looks at the glasses half full all the time. He says, yes, we don't want to be part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. And uh, he's a great leader for the PGA of America. Well, and Michael Barr, as you rightly asked uh, Seth Wah in this conversation too, which you can check out on our podcast feed, as I mentioned, uh, no Tiger. Uh, I mean, a lot of great golfers, but the Tiger Woods effect, it is real in the world of pro golf and and obviously owing to that horrific accident that Tiger Woods was a part of he is thankfully rehabbing from that but he will not be uh at this tournament and that does it changes the field it changes the who's watching it who's there all of it well I, I think one of the things too is that obviously we don't have Tiger and it's always a draw but you have a lot of younger stars yeah. in this tournament and I think that's a key also to bringing in a younger audience to golf because they're following all of these players out there who are younger compared to the older ones. I I hope that will also bring in a bigger draw as we continue to go on to other tournaments, as we go on to the Ryder Cup and so on. Today, delighted to be speaking with none other than A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez. He is the chairman and CEO of the appropriately named A-Rod Corp. And Alex, it's great to spend some time with you and to spend some time really going deep on your business life, because this is not the typical story that we're used to hearing about. You know, a guy comes off a successful athletic career and, you know, then creates some little businesses around himself. You're building an empire. You have built an empire in many ways, and it's ever growing. I'd love to understand, and our listeners would too, what's underneath this? What is the animating ethos of what you're trying to build? Yeah, thank you, Jason. I, for me, I think it starts with my mom, just watching her every single day, having two jobs. We come from a very humble beginnings. My father left when I was 10, and we were left with my mom and my two siblings, my brother Joe and my sister Susie. And I've always had this entrepreneur spirit of the two Bs. I wanted to uh, have baseball and be a CEO in business. Uh, and that started when I was about 10 years old. Um, I saw my mom work two jobs. I saw her really struggle. Uh, I saw that the lack of financial literacy knowledge uh, worked against us. And sure enough, about 12 or 13 years later, I had my first opportunity to buy a duplex. And, and I did that and off I went with my uh, business career. So let's talk about transition. You know, there is a very successful model out there that that basically says you play ball, you do well, you build a, a portfolio that is largely based on endorsements more than anything. But, you know, one of the people that I believe you consulted early on was Magic Johnson. He obviously has set a different sort of standard. Tell me about that and, and what you took from your your friendship and interaction with him. Yeah, first of all, Magic is a friend and, uh, and a mentor and uh, one of my heroes. Uh, Magic is, um, he's been such an inspiration for me. You know, Jace, we went to uh, a dinner because uh, I asked him for some help and guidance. Uh, and this was when I was uh, 
almost 20 years ago when I signed with the Texas Rangers. And uh, I asked Magic for some advice. He took me to a steak dinner in LA. I thought it was gonna be like 30 minutes. It was like three and a half hours. And he basically laid out the entire playbook. And I could not believe how generous and humble he was, uh, how his advice and experiences, both the good and the bad, uh, has been a pivotal part of how I build out A-Rod Corp. And uh, to this day, we talk about that. But the point is, I think if you're a mentee, uh, there's plenty of great mentors out there that are willing to share experiences and it's priceless and invaluable of how much value it can bring to folks like me. And now I'm doing it for you know dozens of athletes and entertainers who call for advice and, uh, and is my opportunity to uh, pay it forward to what Magic and others did for me. All right. So take me inside the portfolio. Help me understand, you know, some of the more representative investments inside A-Rod Corp, because anybody who spends some time on, on the website, you see it is it is wide ranging. And yet there are some clear themes. You're you are going deep on, on a couple different themes. Tell me about one or two of those. Yeah, I think, you know, A-Rod Corp does two main things. One is we have a legacy real estate business that goes back about 20 years and then we do venture and private equity deals and we're taking minority and sometimes majority uh, positions in companies. And we own over 30 companies in our portfolio. We're taking about seven or eight public here this year. Uh, so it's been an extraordinary year for, for ARC. Um, but think about a company like Hims and Hearst uh, that we came in a few years ago. It just went public uh, early, earlier this year and it's been a great success. Telemedicine for the masses at an affordable price. Uh, we like the space. It has a huge TAM. And when you think about a business that throws off 92% reoccurring income with 76% margins, uh, we think that's in the early eight stages of, of what could be a really great company. Um, that, that's one. And then you take one that I did with Mark Laurie called Archer Flying Cars. Uh, we came in uh, around $125 million valuation and we took it public at $3.6 billion. And, and Mark did this all within two years. Um, so it, it's wide ranging, but it's really a place where we can bring value and really uh, bring in the capital and the people. Let's talk about some of your partners and sort of how uh, you you make this approach, because one of the things that's clear is you're picking partners in, in, in different regards and for different reasons. Let's talk a little bit about Mark, because he comes into play for a venture capital firm that you're starting, but also more notably, and, and right now, comes into play as, as a fellow potential owner um, in an NBA team. I know that that is still ongoing, but reports are that the Timberwolves, you have an agreement to, to buy it. We'll leave the details to, to be worked out, but but tell me why you want to own a team. Well, I think, look, we learned a lot through, through the, the Mets process. Uh, we worked really hard on that. Uh, like I tell my friends, we were the second winners. Um, it was an incredible process that we learned a great deal. Uh, what we learned is that these are more than just sports teams. They're media entertainment platforms that is their intersection between e-commerce, uh, technology, media, sports, uh, and entertainment. And uh, when you look at the NBA and you look at the tailwinds, you look at the leadership, you look at the global footprint and where it's going, uh, the young demographics, the eyeballs, uh, they get entertainment as well as any league in, in the world. And uh, Mark and I uh, are close friends, we're partners, and we think that our set of skills combined uh, can be a, a great added value to a sports franchise. So we're, we're very excited about the opportunity. 
So tell me about that. Tell me about that relationship and, and how something like that uh, develops in, in terms of figuring out how the skills mesh together. I mean, clearly, you know, going through the Mets process, as you say, taught you about what you you guys could both bring to the table. But you're also starting a venture capital firm with Mark. So how does it work? Yeah, look, Jason, a lot of what I do in business, I frame it back to my Yankee days. Right. And I think complementary set of skills work really well. Um, you can't have 10 shortstops, right? You can't have 10 pitchers. So the idea is, you know, Derek Jeter and myself are great compliments to Mariano Rivera and Andy Pettit. And you put the four of us together, we, that, that makes a championship, uh, you know, combination. When you look at Mark Laurie and I, uh, we're great partners because we have complementary set of skills. Uh, he's world-class when it comes to e-commerce, technology, computer. I barely know how to turn on a computer. So we make a dream team. Um, you know, I bring my 25 years experience of professional baseball business, but we really complement each other. Number one, we're great friends. Number two, uh, there's uh, infinite trust there. And those are the two things, foundation that you need in a partnership in business that can last for years and years. Be something of a time management uh, challenge, if, if nothing else, Alex. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have great, great people around me. I mean, I have um, three really, really strong women that run uh, our companies and our portfolio. I have uh, Lisa, who runs our, our investment arm. We have Kelly, who's my chief chief business officer, and she runs everything that we touch. And then we have Aaron Knight and Stuart Zook, who run our real estate. And really, they're, they run their own business. I don't micromanage. They tell me really what to do. They're way smarter than I am. But really, again, when you have the VCP, and I think we have it at, at A-Rod Corp, uh, you're able to do a lot of great things. And I'm able to kind of roam around and bring value at the highest level with great relationships with like the Blackstones of the world or Barry Sternlit or Mark Laurie. And then I let my teammates do what they do best. So, you know, you mentioned some of those names and, and it's interesting to, to talk about this kind of intersection, which you and I have talked about before of kind of finance and sports. I would imagine just being who you are, just speaking very plainly, that Many doors are open to you, and, and yet you still have to walk through them, and you still have to sit down at that table, and then the conversation goes from there. What have you learned in that process of kind of getting from, hey, it's nice to meet you, sure, we can take a picture, to actually getting a deal done, actually doing business? You know, that, that, that's a great, great question, because this is something that Magic Johnson and I joked around back 15, 20 years ago, which is, you know, as an athlete, as an entertainer, you pretty much have any door open to you, people will take a meeting, they'll want a picture, you sign an autograph, they have kids and grandkids, but usually nothing happens after that. What we learned is the doors were open, you have to be prepared to be open, you have to know your stuff, you have to have a, an A plus team to be able to follow up and execute. Because when you walk in the door as an athlete or an entertainer, you have to understand that what the business person is thinking is they're not gonna follow up, it's gonna be flaky, uh, they don't have a capable team, they run a licensing model, not an ownership model. So you have two strikes walking in. You have to come in and really know your stuff, be well-prepared, and have a world-class team to be able to execute in all these doors opening. If not, it's just an autograph show. And so talk to me about that difference between licensing and, and ownership, because clearly that, that is a key theme uh, that you have pulled through. It comes with more responsibility, more complexity, uh, and, and so in general, that's just harder to do. It is relatively easy. And again, I'm just speaking plainly of you. When you are as famous as you are, people want to put your name on something and that will help their sales. 
it's a whole different thing when they're bringing you on as an equity partner, as someone who has a say, but also has the responsibility to carry it forward. How do you adopt that mindset or what are the tools you need to use in order to actually execute? Licensing model compared to an ownership model are completely different. If you think about a licensing model, you get CAA or WME, whoever your agent are, they'll go out and do a deal with you know Nike or Mercedes-Benz and it's a three-year deal. You get paid a few million bucks a year and that's pretty much it. It's really simple. Uh, when you think about building businesses, it requires time, effort, resources, an incredible team, an institutional team to be able to build because it's, it's really hard to do, right? And it takes more time and energy and a different set of skill set, right? So um, it's not for everybody, but if you do it, you have to do it right. And uh, the upside is much greater, but there's so much harder work to be able to execute that. Alex, we were talking earlier about how generationally this group of athletes coming along is different. They are more ambitious in many ways, especially when it comes to becoming business people earlier and earlier, often as they're coming into the pro leagues. What does that mean to have a more sophisticated cohort coming along? Well, when, when I grew up, for example, Jason, I wanted to be just like, you know, Cal Ripken or Magic Johnson and Larry Bird or Dan Marino. And that was it. Today, kids want to come up and they want to be more like Mark Cuban or Mark Laurie or, or LeBron James, who's both. Uh, I think there's a shift in thinking. There is a, a much larger ambition. There's more transparency out there. But I, I would say that there's a shift in power that's happened over the last 10 years. But more specifically, over the last five years, the power has shifted to the talent and the entertainer. And, and what that means is that you couldn't think 15, 20 years ago that an entertainer uh, like Kim Kardashian can actually beat a KKR or a Blackstone on a particular deal. But the truth is, in today's world, she can. And that's really cool and is really fun. And that it democratizes things a great deal. So with that, I think there's an adjustment being made right now of like, okay, institutions actually need the talent but if you do it right, one plus one should equal 11. And so there is risk, though, in, in sort of taking that on, because just going back to what you said before, a licensing deal, pretty low risk. I mean, you're getting a check and, you know, then you sort of go off and, and do it, do what you're going to do. And so how do you factor risk into all of this? I, listen, I would say that sometimes a licensing deal is exactly the right thing to do, right? I mean, if if you have a wonderful company like a Nike or uh, a Starbucks and, and you want to do a partnership with them, fantastic. Um, I think it's just like playing a different sport. When you're building businesses, you need different team members, different commitment, different alignment. Uh, the way you structure pay is completely different. With the licensing deal, you need one agent, one manager, they do the deal, everybody gets their money, agent gets 10%, you get 90 and you're off to the next, right? And you, you fill out your obligations. With a business, you can build it for 10 or 12 years and not collect the dollar. And are you willing to do that? Are you really to are, are you willing to architect the team? Look, 99% will say, no, I don't need that. I just want to be on a boat and go enjoy my life and play golf. And there's nothing wrong with that. So you have crazy people like me and Magic and Greg Norman and others that really have wanted to be excellent both on the baseball field or the sports field as well as the boardroom. So I'm going to ask you a really big, big sort of sprawling question. Uh, but it does strike me as you're talking about this and, and we're talking about, you know, your future as an owner. It feels like over the last year, our relationship with sports has changed and, and maybe deepened our relationships with athletes. 
how athletes see themselves. Do you feel that in, in this moment? You know, you mentioned LeBron. We think about the activism in the NBA and the WNBA that we saw in the aftermath of George Floyd's killing and, and Black Lives Matter and all of these different things. What's changed about our relationship with, with sports and, and teams? Well, I think it's just gotten to be a, even a more important platform. I mean, there's so much pain around the world. Uh, so many people are suffering with these tough times, whether it's health or financially, or, or just really not knowing what the future holds. And I've always said that in times like this is about bringing people together. And uh, nothing brings people together more than music and sports. And I think moving forward is even a bigger responsibility and a bigger platform to be able to not only run a great business, but to do a lot of good in those communities uh, around these sports franchises. Well, Alex, thank you so much for your time. Alex Rodriguez, the chairman and CEO of A-Rod Corp, and also the presumptive new owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx. Always good to keep an eye on what he's up to. So, guys, obviously a wide-ranging conversation there. A-Rod is in the middle of so many things, but I would like to think one of the things we learned from him, Lynchy, was kind of the underpinnings of his business and some of the folks that he has really taken cues from along the way. Well, I was fascinated with his uh, revelation that he contacted Magic Johnson about 20 years ago, and they went to dinner, and A-Rod thought it was going to be a 30-minute conversation, and Magic had him there for three and a half hours and basically opened his playbook on investments, some of the pitfalls to avoid, some of the... uh, people to contact if he wants to be an entrepreneur after his playing days are over. And I remember when he played for the Yankees, every time they came into Fenway to play the Red Sox, A-Rod would slip over to Harvard and he would just walk around and he would sit in buildings. He actually attended classes every now and then. He would just sit in the back of a lecture hall. And he was always trying to absorb uh, things around him to make him Uh, more worldly. Uh, He tried to develop a business acumen. And so it's really a a fascinating guy. It's a great interview, by the way, JK. And um, I loved it. But I thought the Magic Johnson thing, reaching across to Magic, was was really uh, quite a great bridge to where A-Rod is right now. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I I found that really interesting, too. And and especially that takeaway that A-Rod had from that interaction with magic, this notion of, look, you can get into any room in the world. You know, even, and and what was sort of implied is, even if somebody didn't love you as a player, you were a, a star professional athlete. People want your autograph. They want your picture. But they may not expect that much of you. They may think you're a little bit flaky. So you got to come in prepared and you got to build a really good team around you. You know, it's funny, Michael Barr, too, to think about, you know, you, you hear this from A-Rod, and, you know, and he he throws out all the, you know, kind of metaphors that you would expect around, you know, building a team and leveling the playing field and things like that. The funny thing is those cliches are cliches because they're true. I mean, there are these commonalities between being a very successful athlete and and being a successful business person. And part of it is just, as Lynchy well described, kind of putting in the work. It's more, and expanding on more of what you said, it was a point in there where he said, and I was kind of shocked by it because I thought, well, when you're A-Rod, you come into a business deal, hey, I'm A-Rod, yeah. it's like, let's get this going. It's like, you know, but the people on the other end they want to know that you got your stuff together. Yeah. And if you don't, and as he put it, it turns into an autograph session. Right. And and I, I was surprised that, you know, it's not just that easy. In fact, it almost might be a negative to to have that celebrity status 
and obviously not having your stuff together. Yeah. Well, and and Lynchy, it's also interesting to to hear you know who he's partnered up with. I think the other you know chapter to be told now. We only got to talk a little bit about it, in part because the deal is still in the process of getting done. Is he's going to be a team owner now, and yeah. you know, and and by the way, not in the sport. Which he excelled in. He tried to buy the Mets. Definitely learned some things there, and ultimately lost out, obviously, to Stevie Cohen. But now the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be under his ownership and the Minnesota Lynx, the WNBA franchise. I do wonder, you know, what someone who has been a professional athlete in a different sport brings to, you know, an NBA franchise, which probably has some some room to grow here. You know, valuation of about a billion and a half dollars is it's it's sort of amazing to say this on the low end, <laughs> or certainly like the mid to low end of uh, of franchises in the NBA. So room to run, it feels like. Well, his experience in trying to acquire the New York Mets was basically his dress rehearsal yeah. for acquiring the Minnesota Timberwolves. And he told you in that interview that he just learned so much uh, about that experience right there that will help him uh, in, in sort of a generic way to being an owner, whether it was a hockey team, a football team, basketball team, or baseball team. Uh, this guy is success-oriented. He's driven, and is, as we all agree, he's not afraid to uh, to roll up his sleeves and get his fingernails dirty. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since Kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. All right, gather around. <laughs> Come on, gang, gather around the radio here. It's time for the number of the week. This is going to be a simple question. Oh, boy. Real estate developer Ted Siegel is near an agreement to purchase Major League Soccer's Houston Dynamo for how much? I actually know this one because I researched it today. So does that disqualify me? No. Go ahead and give it. $400 million. Yeah, you have no wiggle room. Yeah. yeah that's, right. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. I mean, so $400 million, I think that's a, it's interesting to hear that number in part because you know we're just talking a minute or two ago about the T-Wolves, what a franchise is going for in the the NBA right now. So in soccer, four hundred million dollars, you know, gets you gets you into the into the league. There still some again some room to run on on the soccer side. I mean, not that four hundred million dollars is chump change, but uh, that is a sport we're going to continue to see some investment. But the valuations have not. Uh, grown, I think, the way that they have in, in other sports. So, good job, Lynch. Doing your homework. I like it. I like it. I, the other one was going to be that uh, where was uh, Mr. Brady going to go because I think the house was going to be sold. Oh, boy. Where he's, but I decided to throw that out because yeah. I knew Lynchy was well, going to know, know that, that one. Yeah, lynchy has <laughs> been, been like on Zillow, like yeah. looking at another house as being like, oh, Tom and I could be by neighbors. The, by the way, the answer to that is was listed for twenty nine, sold for twenty two point five. Yes, right? yes, 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 yes. Go. go to the head of the class. It's your wreck both experiences. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey, I didn't do my home. I, I I learned my lesson a long time ago. Do your homework, or you could lose your baseball cards. There you go. Oh God. You've been listening nice. to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcast. Those drop on Monday. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. In the meantime, find me on Twitter. I'm Jason Kelly at Jason Kelly News. 
And I'm Mike Lynch. Do your homework, boys and girls. You can find me at LynchyWCVB. And I'm Michael Barr. Lynchy's next question is going to be in metrics and euros. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs> 